Frustrated Fans, episode 48, Encounter at Boring Point. Frustrated Fans, stealing your rose-colored glasses one franchise at a time. I'm your co-host, Pete. And I'm your other co-host, Jeremy. And holy shit, Nicholas Meyer is working on the new Star Trek show! Yep, we need to comment on this. Uh, we mentioned, well, just a couple of episodes ago, about this new, uh, yes, still of yet untitled 2017 series that's going to stream only um, by CBS. And, uh, yeah... The director behind Star Trek 2 and 6, uh, he's part of the crew for this. Yep, and not only that, he wrote Star Trek 2, co-wrote Star Trek 4, and wrote Star Trek 6, as well as directed it. Yeah. So basically, so, um, you know how everyone says uh, all the even-numbered Treks are the good ones? Well, how ironic, Nicholas Meyer worked on all three of them. <laughs> do you have any, anything to do with the TNG movies? Uh, he did not, no. All right, then. And considering how uh, not good three of the TNG movies were, I'm going to say that First Contact might have been a fluke. Uh, <laughs> um, wow. And we also f- I also found out that the showrunner for the new Trek show, Brian Fuller, was a writer for Deep Space Nine and Voyager. So that's half good? Yep. Well, no, I don't want to pick on Voyager. Too actually, much, really. he. I'm looking at the episodes he worked on for Voyager, and he worked on pretty much the majority of the ones he worked on were very good. So, and he worked on two very good episodes of DS9. So, yeah. Okay. Yep. No. So this is a good thing. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're in the build up to episode 50, folks. So we decided to go back to where we started. And uh, with so episode forty-eight, we are doing the pilot, the series premiere of the Star Trek: Next Generation Encounter at Four Point. Yep. So Pete, I so, think I'm. So Pete, remember back in our Enterprise review when you were saying how this was one of the better pilots and that it was actually really good? And no, I, I had to be remembering it wrong. It wasn't that bad. Because Picard's final line is really good. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I, here's my humble pie. Here's me eating it. Yes, this is not necessarily the best intro. Yeah, there's a reason Star- why Pete's line is stealing your rose-colored glasses, and by make by having him rewatch this episode, I stole them, stomped on them, and then handed them back. <sighs> well, you know what? At least we're, it's still better than what we we're hearing about the uh, Full House sequel, because a lot of people aren't a little upset with that. <laughs> That's, oh well, yeah, their their rose colored glasses just got ripped off, stomped on, well, and then on. The critics have been unfair, un, well, not unfair, unkind to the new series. And here's here's Jeremy and I just sitting back with smiles on our faces. <laughs> yeah, when I saw that, the one of the comments was, "Unless you're a hard like a huge hardcore Full House fan," which I'm like, that seems like an oxymoron. I don't think you can be a hardcore Full House fan. I've known people who were. Oh, God. Well, maybe they like it. I don't know. I'll have to ask them next time I see them. Yeah. And enjoy their tears. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was dark. I, I almost expect the 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 line from South Park with that, Oh, your tears are so delicious to show up in this. <laughs> it might one day. So... Mm, fan tears. Mm, they sustain me. Tears of ultimate human sadness, as I recall. <laughs> All right, so today we're going to be talking about the first episode ever of Star Trek: The Next Generation Encounter at Far Point, which first aired September twenty eighth, nineteen eighty seven. God, I feel kind of old because I was three when this came out. Yep, as was I. Yep, uh, it was directed by Corey Allen. Written by DC Fontana and Gene Roddenberry, and featured music from Dennis McCarthy. So we both kind of grew up with this series. Jeremy and I, well, we're both born in May of '84, so yeah. This we were kind of. Um, I don't know if your parents were huge into it, but Lord knows mine were. I mean, they're not the trackies you see in the in the in a couple of those documentaries, but my parents, they liked the original series when I was growing up. Yeah, my dad was, was back in syndication. My dad was a big fan of the original show and the movies, and I grew up, uh, when I was a little kid, we would watch the original show together, and then I discovered Star Trek The Next Generation when I was in elementary school, 
Okay. Well, um, for me, no, I never saw the original series, but I did grow up with when Next Generation was running. I, I mean, I came in around season five regularly, and of course, I grew up with movies two, three, and four. So, um, my parents had at least they had four on VHS, and I think any time two or three were, was on TV, we would sometimes watch that. So yeah, I we got both got exposed to sci-fi way early on. Yeah, so this is this is an old favorite. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I will admit I lost interest in Star Trek for a while, but which was shockingly after seeing well, I before this, but then I saw I saw Generations in theaters. It's actually outside Yeah, I did too. Outside of the new reboots, um like, you know, the 2009 movie and the movie that shall not be named. Um, uh, Generations is the only Trek movie I've seen in theaters. Yeah, as sad as that. I've, let me see. I saw um, Generations, Insurrection, and Nemesis in theaters. So you missed the good I missed the good one. Yeah. I know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I got back into Star Trek again uh, when I was originally starting college. Uh, a friend of mine who is like a lifetime Trek fan he he was like, hey, let you know, because we had been watching like random movies on Fridays. He's like, I'll bring over Star Trek movies. Let's try, you know, I want to get you back into it again. And after watching First Contact and Star Trek VI, I am a re- I am a uh, born again Trekkie. <laughs> Wait, so why haven't we had him on the show, man? Uh, because he's currently living in China. That does make things difficult. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll admit that. Yeah, I, I will. So. I will try and see if I can get him on. Well, timing will be an issue, but we'll figure something yeah. out. As well or as, next time he's... As well as internet connections. But before we get into this, we do need to discuss um, how kind of Next Generation came about. So, uh, it, basically, when the series was running originally, it didn't always have the best of ratings, and it ended um, after three seasons, and then went immediately into syndication, which made it cheaper to show. But... Star Trek kind of, the original series built this even bigger following from when it was into syndication back compared to when it was live. Uh, I think this is after the first movie that they started considering Phase 2? Actually, Phase 2 was before the first movie. Oh, Um, This was, it was like 1976, they were considering a live, a new new Star Trek show. They implemented some of the phase, the phase two characters into that first movie. Yeah, from what I understand, motion picture was actually adapted from the pilot concept for phase two, which is right. why motion picture feels like something that's stretched out to two hours. Right. Phase two effectively was Gene Roddenberry getting a second chance uh, to put the show back, and they were going to advance the story a bit. They were going to have both new and old cast members, and uh, yeah, he was. That's, uh, they got pretty far in development, actually. Yeah, there were scripts, uh, there were con- full concepts. Actually, uh, again, a lot of the scripts and concepts from Phase 2 ended up being adapted into early episodes of TNG. Um, unfortunately, the reason why this never came to be is Paramount Television Service, which was going to be, Paramount was going to air it, uh, they folded. So this was put on ice, but Star Trek... Uh, showed up at, showed up in movies because Star Wars came out in 1977 and the big boom for sci-fi built up again and so Star Trek the motion picture came out and yes and then Star Trek 2 came out and made it good yes yes <laughs> and ironically Star Trek 2 which Gene Roddenberry had very little to do with so af- then after Star Trek 4 released to massive critical success and the Biggest commercial success out of all four of the movies at the time. Yes, two is considered the best, but four was the most, honestly, did the best financially. So, you mm-hmm. know, because it hit a much broader audience. So, work began on a new Trek show. It was like, okay, there's interest. We can make money off this again. This eventually became Star Trek The Next Generation, which would bring in a completely new cast, take place over 70 years at the original show, so it's not another attempt to put in the original actors, most likely because it would cost way too much to have them in a weekly show. Roddenberry returned as the writer and creator, despite having very little to do with the very financially successful uh, Star Trek movies. But anyway, uh, Rick Berman was brought in as executive producer, and the show premiered in 1987 in first-run syndication. 
Right. But where it would go will be uh, the subject after our next, our first break. Captain's log, stardate 41153.7. Our destination is planet Deneb 4, beyond which lies the great unexplored mass of the galaxy. My orders are to examine Farpoint, a starbase built there by the inhabitants of that world. So we're back. The first season of Next Generation launched in 1987 to massive critical acclaim. It was not only you had you had old fans back who were happy to have fresh track, much less you had a, a new a new showing of new fans, um, and even the kids of original fans. Yeah. Are yours truly included? Yep. And so the ironic thing is, is that most of the original cast, most, hated the idea of a second series that they weren't a part of. The one, at least, the one exception I know to this, and because he's in the freaking pilot, <laughs> but we'll get to that in a second, was DeForest Kelly. Yep. He actually welcomed it and helped Gene um, out with this. Yep. And according to an interview. Not only when they approached him was he happy to be part of it, he actually accepted like a lower pay rate, like just the oh he the, he delivered he the standard SAG rate, and right? Well, the absolute minimum SAG rate yeah. because he wanted to be part of it, and um, but if he had taken standard SAG, uh, Gene couldn't have afforded him, so he kind of was based was doing it for free, but it was about as close as he could make it. Yep, which and they said he could have held out for more money, he could have done it, but no, he actually really wanted to take, do this for them. So you know, that's well, the ir- irony of this is that um, a lot of the original cast, in one shape or another, would have if they didn't show up on the next generation as part of the main run series, they were in generations. Yeah. So in fact, the only. Um Star the only actor out of the original series that never showed up in TNG Generations or the spin-offs was um Nichelle Nichols. Yeah. Because yeah, George think... Decay shows up in an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Um James Doohan is in Next Generation and Generations. Yep. And Walter Kenning is in Generations. Yep. Leonard Nimoy is in uh TNG, as well as um Mark Leonard, who plays Sarek. And Sarek shows up in two episodes of The Next Generation, which and, um, is uh, Shatner's in Generations. Yeah, Shatner's in Generations. Yep. And that was... Bridge on Captain. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you heard that he said that, right? That oh. after they cut when, when Kirk dies, he goes, Bridge on Captain. And they said, like, the entire, like, production team started laughing. Actually, that is one of the best things to find on YouTube. I'm sure you've seen it, but if anyone listening, if if you're a Star Trek fan and you haven't looked up bloopers on YouTube, do. Oh my god, the Trek. You will be dying of laughter because the cast, um, when they weren't, I mean, they, they had fun. Oh, yeah. Recording these things. Um, so yeah, The Next Generation ended up being a massive success for Paramount. It went seven full seasons and spawned three spin-off shows, two of which went seven full seasons, and four movies were made based off of Next Generation. And honestly, it's even out of all the spin-offs, TNG is the one that actually stands almost on par with the original show in pop culture. Oh, absolutely. And I swear there's no pun intended for this. It actually did help create a new generation of fans. Oh yeah, you and I and um Everyone else who was attracted to it. Yeah, everyone who was brought into the Star Trek fandom from this show. And the show itself won multiple awards, including two Hugo Awards for Best Dramatic Presentation for The Inner Light, which is an amazing episode. If anyone hasn't seen it, go watch it now. And the series finale, All Good Things. Um, Hell, Patrick Stewart never expected the show to go as far as it did. And he played Picard. He... um, his whole thing was he got into it just so he could be introduced, kind of introduced to American audiences. Right. He expected maybe a season, maybe two, and then you know he fell in love with the work. Yeah, there was actually when they finished season three um, at the big cliffhanger at the end of that, there was still speculation whether or not he would be returning, which is why they were setting up as Riker as the captain and possibly 
No Mark Picard. About a, about a year and a half ago, did you see that in theaters? They showed the season three and season four opener as a as a movie. I didn't. I really wish I oh, had. I went with my my big Trek buddy, and we just had a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I missed all the stuff. Like I missed they put um, Measure of a Man out in theaters, and I missed that. I've missed all the mm-hmm. theatrical stuff. Damn it! But it'll probably come around again. Don't worry. Yeah. Also, on to the first part of. Honestly, the iconic part of this show, which is the te- the theme song for the next generation, which starts off with the classic musical cue from the original show, but then kicks into honestly like a more modernized well for the time modernized uh, Trek theme that was really exciting and filled with energy. Kind of like I wouldn't say cult. well, modernized may not be the rest word. It's certainly classical. It's mm-hmm. Compared to every show's theme, I mean, yeah, everyone remembers the silly sixth, well, the that's, seventh. That's what I meant seventh. by modernize, as in it's not... Right. This one... <laughs> right. This one is, I mean, it's high, it's high brass, it's, you know, it's it's like full orchestral. Yep. And I honestly, this is my favorite theme song of any. Thing yeah. at Star Trek. And honestly, it was the best thing to come, it was one of the best things to come out of Star Trek, the motion picture, as it was the theme song for that movie. Uh, the original mm-hmm. version was composed by Jerry Goldsmith, and then it was later used in Star Trek V for the theme song, which I, I can't remember. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, I still haven't seen that. Okay, well, no, the, the problem with that one was, which I. I when they put out Star Trek V, it had the theme. People who didn't see Star Trek The Motion Picture, who had only had exposure to TNG, accused Jerry Goldsmith of ripping off the theme of Star Trek V. <laughs> I really feel sorry for him for that. Um, and the theme, for the most part, stays the same for the entire show, but there's a better version of it starting off, I believe, at the beginning of Season 3. And you can really hear the difference. And, yeah, it's... While the themes for DS9 and Voyager are fine for what they are... Uh, oh, I'm not and, knocking that. Yeah. Um, I'm knocking Enterprise, but I'm not knocking that. Enterprise did try to do something different, this theme, this is the theme that if you ask people, what music do you remember from Star Trek, it'll be this and the original series theme song. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember... <laughs> the, the One of the biggest laughs I had out of the 09 Star Trek was when it, the final credits had the had a version of the 60s theme, and I, I remember my friend and I looked at each other, we started laughing. Yeah. That was a cool moment, though. I liked that. Yeah. the uh, Everything that came post the original series, and obviously the animated series, um, this it, it's world's different. They have budgets. Let me put it that way. So for a late 80s show, this this set, this design, is really good. Yeah. From what I understand, they reused some stuff from the movies, uh, mm-hmm. but very little, and you can tell that it looks very different from the original Star Trek, but also familiar at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things is just as simple, at least for 87, I mean, for 1987, they everything is, all the control consoles are touchscreen. And compared to where they started in the original series... All the knobs and switches and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Even the, uh, like the turbo lifts in the original show where they would grab like a little lever and twist it. Yeah. Which results in one of the funniest moments in uh, DS9 when they go back in time. O'Brien and Bashir think that there's something wrong with it because they keep going, Bridge! Bridge! And so as they're about to take it apart, this random ensign walks in... Twists the th- twist the thing goes deck five, and they're just like, oh. <laughs> um, another neat and- another neat thing for this one actually is for all the mo- this one and the later two shows instead of having like the flip phone, uh, well, what eventually became like <laughs> had to have inspired the flip phones. Instead of having the handheld communicators, they'll just tap their vet. They tap the uh, insignia. Well, that continues into DS9 and Voyager. Yeah, that's what I meant so. for the three for these three shows. Because Enterprise, yeah. obviously, as an older show, went back to the uh, classical style thing, but which right. also results in a funny moment in DS9, where Cisco literally, because they put on the old outfits, he hits this insignia and goes, "Cisco to Defiant," then goes, "Oh right," and then pulls out the communicator, <laughs> he goes, "Cisco to Defiant," <laughs> right. 
Um, the costumes here, at least to start us off, they're okay. They're it's a good. I mean, they. I mean, even Patrick Stewart talked about this in special features on the season one discs, which I've seen because I'm a nerd. Um, they said the the fabric liked to wrinkle all the time, and Roddenberry was a perfectionist about it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and but we got to talk about the skirt slash boy shorts, <laughs> which it's you see Counselor Troy wearing this thing where it's essentially kind of like a send up to the original Uhura costume or like just the costume. That, is that what that was supposed to be? I don't know. It, oh. That's what it reminds me of is Uhura and like the outfits that the women would wear in the original show. Uh, except you see some of the men wearing it too. Yeah. Uh, my boy shorts crack. Yeah. So. Fortunately, I don't think this uniform lasts very long. It does not. And they give her that. Was it the one piece? Well, eventually, um, is Tasha outside of one scene in this episode for no reason? She's wearing the miniskirt one. Maybe it was they're like, you have to wear the sexy miniskirt at one point. Um, which, considering some <laughs> of the things I've heard, that might have actually happened. Um, <laughs> But after that, Tasha always wears, like, the standard uniform, and Troy moves on to something that is essentially a body hugger that has a V-cut in the top of it. And I mean, I'm not complaining as a red-blooded male, but at the yeah. same time... Well, I'm sorry, my favorite moment, one of my favorite moments in Star Trek The Next Generation is in Season 5 when... Picard is taken away from the Enterprise and is sent on a special mission to the Cardassians. A new captain takes over, and one of the first things he does is make Troy put on a real uniform, and she keeps it for the rest of the show. Right, and I, hey, I don't mind that at all. I, I love that moment. <laughs> it's like, good, finally someone points the shit out. <laughs> all right, but well, let's, um, we'll pick this up after our next break. Okay. Thou art notified that thy kind have infiltrated the galaxy too far already. Thou art directed to return to thine own solar system immediately. That's quite a directive. Would you mind identifying what you are? Call ourselves the Q. Yeah. So where do we start with this? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> As always, I decided to write out a summary of the episode. Yes. Yes, you did. <laughs> I bet All before right. you rewatched it, you looked at this and went, no, you're being too mean. No, no, no. I, I had a feeling you'd probably be right. <laughs> so it starts off, obviously, they, they don't even do a, a pro. Uh, usually with every episode of the show, they start off with a teaser for what the plot's going to be about. Nope, we get straight into the theme song and we get going. Yep. Which, A, I'm okay with, because it's the first episode. And Picard talks about how this the Enterprise-D is finally, like, on duty. You know, you have to assume their shakedown was already happened after this. Oh, we'll definitely get into that when uh, we discuss the series finale. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's like, oh, yep, I'm in command, and uh, I'm going to be... We have this thing at Farpoint. And I know okay. I sound English, but I'm totally French. I don't know what you mean. I'm not part of the Royal Shakespeare Company. <laughs> to be fair, I love... Patrick Stewart is actually pretty good in this, and I, you can definitely see his Shakespearean roots at points. Yeah. It, the episode starts off okay. You know, it's like a nice introduction to this new iteration of Star Trek, and we get introduced to Lieutenant Commander Data, and... God, he started off annoying in this show. The not Vulcan. Yeah. yeah. It, he, this, what, this episode, and as you watch the show, you can really see how much data changed as the show progressed. Yep. And hell, you can see how much Troy changes. Oh, God. Well, that, that's more slow burn than with data, but... Well, she she overacts for this. Okay, she overacts for this episode. God, I, oh, it's bad. Like, the minute... Like, they... Picard and Data finish their discussion. She's like, Captain, there's something bad out there. I sense a presence. Ah! I'm almost curious. I mean, I, I'm not complaining about her character overall, like for the show. I, I, I mean, in the episode, yes, she she comes off as silly. 
Um, Dude, there's literally a later episode of the show where she says to Picard, I sense a presence, and he has to confirm, an alien presence? Okay, fine. Like, I'm sorry, Troy gets, like, one good episode out of the entire series. So, well, mm, I'd say at least a couple. The one where she gets um, turned into a Romulan. Uh, I'd say the, the Cosmic String episode where the Enterprise is rocked to hell and she has to make command decisions is not bad either. That one was okay. I, I did like the reaction on that one where uh, O'Brien says, Counselor Troy is in command, and Ensign Rose like, are you f- kidding me? <laughs> like, she literally has the eyes of, what? You're joking, right? <laughs> well, that episode also repercussions because Troy ends up going through the command test and becomes, you know, she, she so she can officially I, step up and do officer I'm roles. I'm slightly ir- irritated with that episode because it means she becomes a commander before Data does. Yeah. yeah, well... Anyway, anyway getting back. so the ship is suddenly blocked by a giant barrier, and a supposed man in a 16th century European outfit appears on the bridge. And with the, a matching lingo. Yeah, he goes, stop. This is John Delancey as Q, one of my favorite characters in all of Trekdom. He doesn't get a and... very good start. <laughs> Though, no, to be fair, he's, he's not... one of the more interesting parts of this episode. True, but he's not fun in this episode. Yeah. He's more of a... I won't say antagonist. Although, mm-hmm. technically, that probably is true here. But he's definitely um, a quasi-antagonist. I'm not sure what yeah. you call it. Well, it's, it is part of the evolution of the character, because he starts off as a real antagonist for them, and then kind of grows as a more... Just kind of... He does, like, prodding them now and then, but he also becomes, well, he's like... Suffered. He becomes yeah, their right. admits he's, hmm? he's fond of humanity. Yeah, he eventually becomes fond of them as the show progresses. And as, I mean, and by the time he's showing up on Voyager and his one appearance on DS9, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> oh, cute. And so he states that the human race is expanding too quickly and is still a savage child race that brings nothing but destruction. Oh, brings a nice warm feeling to your heart. Yep. Picard laughs off this accusation and goes, No, I'm human. Humans now are awesome. We're perfect in every way. Hey, you, with the boy shorts, put on some pants. <laughs> no, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to make my hot counselor wear something that shows off her chest. <laughs> so he states that it's not fair for him to be judged by the faults of his forebearers, which... Actually, he does have a point. He comes off as a yeah. bit of a dick, but he he has a point. Like he was like, oh, okay, he's like, you want a trial, huh? Judging and prosecuting. What a delightful idea. I'll be right back. I have to get into costume. I mean, let you think you're running away from me. <laughs> so they decide yeah. to push the Enterprise by Picard saying, let's see what this galaxy-class ship can do, and... They separate the saucer section from the rest of the ship. Oh, can I do it, Captain? The engines are cannot take anymore. <laughs> Which, yeah, that's like one of the biggest disappointments I remember when I rewatched the first season a couple years back. Mm-hmm. There is no chief engineer for the first season. No, there isn't. LaForge doesn't become it until second season. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't have a Scotty equivalent until then. Yeah, it's really weird. You know, it, it is a nice-looking sequence when that's put to the main theme when the saucer section separates. Honestly, though, I kind of wish they would have saved this for a later episode and not, you know, shown it off well, right away. I, I can't help but think this was a, supposed to be a wow moment for uh, longtime fans. Like, oh, this is different. Yeah. No, I can understand that. I just think it would have been a nice thing to save. Then, like, later on, they're in huge danger, and they're like, separate the ship. And people are like, wait, what? It can do this? You know, it would have yeah. had a pretty huge impact if it happened, like, halfway through the first season. Right. But as a plus, it's something that they rarely do. And so it's a big event when it does happen in the show. Right. I, I mean, I can think of maybe two two episodes in the series. Um, I can think of a couple. There's this one. At one point, Geordi's in command and does it. And Picard, Because I always remember at the end of the episode, Picard's like, Now, Mr. LaForge, you shall stay in command until you bring me back the other half of my ship. And they did use it in Best of Both Worlds, because they split the ship in half to distract the Borg. I mean, there was in Generations when the ship kind of blew up. Which was like um, one of the most 
visually impressive parts of that movie, too. That was amazing. Well, they wanted to do that, like, for season five's finale, but they just couldn't get it to work. Yeah, well, also, like, budget constraints also. Is, right. Holy cow, I bet this that was expensive stuff. So yeah, I'm looking at Memory Alpha right now to look at all the times it was done. Okay. Good to continue. So the drive section, which has all the weapons and the engines and everything, like, turns around and heads back to where Q was, and then, and then Picard surrenders. What? I would like to point out, I mean, SF Debris mentioned this, and just put this in con- in context, less than 20 minutes into the pilot episode, the French captain surrenders. <sighs> well, to be fair, this is the same people who had freaking Napoleon, so let's not play on stereotypes. Okay, okay. I'm sure there will be no other stereotypes in this episode. Yeah. So, Q transports... Picard, Tasha, Troy, and Data, because they're the main characters, to a courtroom filled with a bunch of crazy extras. Also, I do have to point out, why is Troy on the battle bridge? And why is Worf commanding the saucer section? I'm sorry, it feels like their parts should have been swapped. Well, I mean, I can't justify tactically Troy being where she is, because, you know, she's the shrink for the ship, but Worf commanding the saucer in case he had to use the weapons on the saucer, I could see that. This is true, and at least it gives him something to do in this two-parter, because that's the only important thing he does! I don't even remember him doing anything else for the rest of the show outside of pointing a phaser at a screen. So, as we're introduced to the crazy courtroom, we're introduced to... Oh, look... It's an Asian stereotype. We can't escape these, can we? Uh, Now I'm just thinking of the Futurama. I find that offensive. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) something that just... This this scene is like the most... Like, the original Trek was kind of kooky. But you know what? I'll, I'll give it a pass. It was the 60s. Everyone was on drugs then. Mm-hmm. This show starts off with them being transported to being like this semi-futurist, like this old style, but also kind of futuristic courtroom with a Asian stereotype with the Fu Manchu look and a midget with a cowbell. I won't make a Saturday Night Live joke. I won't make a Saturday Night Live joke. I won't make a Saturday Night Live joke. It's not working. You know, it's not working. Q's got a fever. <laughs> and the only, the only prescription is a cowbell. With a cowbell. <laughs> like, we've got... This is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Like, Q's trying to be all serious, be like, you shall be executed unless you confess to the crimes of your forebearers. Meanwhile, every time friggin', you know, Asian dude goes, you are being charged for this, you hear, you get the little midget just going, ding, with the cowbell. (laughs) And apparently this is supposed to happen at the end of the current century. Oh my god, what the hell? Like, this is just... You, this honestly, this episode stinks, but this scene really does need to be viewed just because how bizarre and insane. It's kind of fun, though. I admit, huh? It, it, I like. I, I think it's fun. I think it's, it's weird, fun. but it's. Fun. <laughs> I don't know if it was. I think it was supposed to be taken seriously, though. Yeah, well, Q in that crazy outfit, man. Oh, this is true. All right. Well, you know what? While we consider that, we'll take our next break. And we assume you mean this will be a fair trial. Yes, absolutely equitable. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice... Oh, wait, no, it's just Farpoint Station. And we're yep. introduced to Commander Smug... I mean, Riker. Um, who is yeah, it? It's interesting. Um, when it came to the series, I mean, I, I get why they split... split the uh, When they were reconsidering characters... Don't get me wrong, I actually like Picard better than Kirk, and I know that's heresy to, like, half of the Trek fans out there, <laughs> so, whatever. But Picard is more of a diplomat, so when they were reconsidering the Captain character, they kind of gave uh, Kirk's, let's be generous here, flandering <laughs> um, to Riker. And a uh, clip from Justice where he goes, they make love at the drop of a hat. Any hat. I mean, you know, <laughs> which officer do you think has more space trans- sexually transmitted diseases? 
Kirk or Riker? I think Kirk, because by the time Riker came around, they learned how to cure all of them. <laughs> They're like they used Kirk, they used Kirk as like a baseline and went, okay, now we know how to deal with all this. And then Riker walks in. They're like, oh God, where have you been? <laughs> He's like, no, no, what? Who have I been in? Dun, 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 dun. Anyway, so so Riker is chatting with the. Uh, Station manager? Yeah, he's like the head, which I'm going to call it Farpoint Station. It's not a space station. It's on the ground. Eh. Anyway, so... Well, I mean, now we just can't do that's no moon joke. So let's move on. (laughs) So he's chatting with the man and he goes, oh, I'm disappointed. There's no apples on your desk. Oh, my God, there are apples on your desk. It's almost like we don't have this type of technology that instantly makes whatever we want. Oh, wait, we do. So why is he that surprised? Because he's an idiot. Well, because it moves the plot along. Oh, yeah. So Riker meets up with Dr. Beverly Crusher and everybody's favorite character in the whole wide world. The character that lost in the worst sci-fi character ever poll, only to Jar Jar Binks, Wesley Crusher. Shut up, Wesley. And no, I'm not oh, do that. not want. <laughs> no, I'm not making that up. So do not want yeah. another strange occurrence of I wanted this. Oh, wait, now it's here occurs. And Jinkies gang, I think we've got a mystery on our hands. <laughs> well, it's not as bad as Gargoyles <laughs> in the Scooby-Doo gang, but, you know, yeah, actually, there are some connections. We got a lot of the same actors. Oh, God, I had to bring that up, didn't I? (laughs) So, finally, Riker beams up to the ship, and he meets Captain Stick-Up-Me-Arse, I mean Picard, and gets to re-watch the first part of the episode. They just can't tell him what's going on? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there's punishments, like, there's bad stuff that happens throughout this series where they have to punish people, but seriously, you're making someone re-watch parts of this episode? Picard, you're a sick bastard. Well, I always read this as um, he's kind of just he he starts off a bit of a dick to uh, Riker, just kind of test his metal to see how what Riker's gonna do. Yeah. So, and I mean they they do have a warm warmer welcome for him later. Yeah. Well, the, unfortunately, right after this, Riker is then uh, ordered to reconnect the ship manually. Yeah, because I'm sure this happens a lot. Like, ah, we they don't were... need these complicated instruments to do this dangerous sequence that could probably result... They even in... kind of mentioned there's an automated process for yeah. this. Yeah, so. like, and if you do this wrong, you're trying to con- reconnect two parts of the ship. You could probably break both, cause an explosion, and whoop, end of series. On the plus so... side, at least Troy isn't at the, com- at the control station, but she probably would just ram the ship into the other part. Okay, was that a Nemesis reference? or was Actually, that... it's a Generations reference and a Nemesis reference. We will find out that in the movies, every time Troy takes control of the ship, she breaks it. To be fair, it was pretty damn broken in Nemesis before that already, but we will get to that <laughs> yep. in one day. So. One of these days. so anyway, Picard tells Riker that they need to investigate this planet to prove themselves to Q that they're not just a dangerous, savage child race. It's like, then why are you being so petty in this episode? Anyway, Picard comments that in Riker's previous posting, he refused to let his captain go into a dangerous situation and almost got court-martialed for it, and asked, why did you do this? Riker states that as the first officer, he will always make the choice that's best for the ship and the captain, even if it means violating orders. Which, you know what? That's a very good setup for Riker, and is something that carries through the entire show. Oh, absolutely. So, you know what? Kudos for this part. I like this part. Yeah. I mean, it kind of, it, it shows us the character Riker would eventually become. Yeah. It, it's Until they clone him with the weird tele, uh, t- uh, tra- teleporter accident. Oh, yeah, that part. That episode. <laughs> Which, his duplicate comes back in DS9. Yes, I heard. Yeah. So, Picard accepts that, and he also has a very important mission for Riker. So important that no one must ever know. I mean, could it be something from Section 31? Could it be, you know, something regarding the security of the Federation? No, it's Riker needs to keep the kids away from Picard. I get this. I mean, yeah, you you kind of see it. It sounds silly, but I get this. It's more Picard's used. He's a diplomat. 
for adults. He just doesn't relate well to kids. And sometimes in these kind of organizations, you need someone who can be the hard ass and someone who can be the good cop, essentially. Ironically, later on in season seven, they have a Captain Picard day for all the kids. Yeah. Such a good moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I remember it. Yeah. Especially when a admiral calls him and goes, Captain Picard Day. And he goes, oh, yes, it's for the children. I, I'm a role model. <laughs> so then we get to the... We get our fan service. Yes, and the best part of this entire episode. Oh, absolutely. And that's Data escorting Admiral Leonard McCoy to a shuttlecraft. Which, I love the fact that after all these years, McCoy still hates transporters. And he's still honorary. Yep. And even more so. Like, And, God, the music during this scene is really good. And you know what? It's great to see DeForest Kelly being able to play this role on, in, the t- in, in one of the TV series for the final time. Because even though he was in two more in, the, in two more of the movies, this was the character's final appearance on TV, not including stock footage from Trials and Tribulations. Right. And it's just good to see him play that character again. Yeah. And Especially when he calls Data a Vulcan. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and he puts on a wonderful performance, too. And, uh, gosh, I, I love the fact... And honestly... Data is better in this scene than, like, any other scene. It's almost like Brent Spiner, like, realized the gravitas of this moment and was like, I'm going to make sure I do as well as I possibly can. Let's get this moment right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's my favorite moment in the entire pilot. Yeah, it's really good. It's a good way. It was a good way to bridge the two series and, you know, satisfy both uh, old fans and... Help new get new ones. Yep. Um, can introduce to data. Yep. So. And this would become a tradition for each of the spinoffs, where a character from the previous show would help send off the new show. Okay. Well, DS9 has Picard. Mm-hmm. Voyager has Quark. the Frankie. Yeah. yeah. And Enterprise has um, oh god, what's his name? Um, the guy who invented warp drive. Zephyr Cochran. Oh, Cochran. Yeah, the, yeah, it's the same actor from First Contact playing him in mm-hmm. a... Basically, they show footage of him talking about Warp Drive, so that's how Enterprise is sent off. Okay. Which was actually, uh, if you go back to our review, there's actually one of the better parts of that episode, too. Yeah. But let's continue on. Yeah. So, oh, great. Now we're back to the Super Friends. Or is it the Scooby Squad? Well, either way... <laughs> The, the the USS Hood flies off with McCoy, and Picard gives them a French goodbye, and Q appears to be a proxy, proxy for the audience and say, quit wasting time and work, damn it! <laughs> God. Yeah. And then we get a scene that introduces one of the, one of the best and worst elements of the entire, um, every, the next generation and every series to come after it. Yep. The holodeck. holodeck. Yeah. Which, I have to admit, for its first introduction, it's actually really well done. Like, they do a good job of introducing it. Yeah. Um, but, luckily, and luckily, this episode does not introduce the running gag of, the holodeck's broken! Not yet. Yeah. But we do get introduced to Wesley again, who promptly falls into water because I have no idea. It's funny... I maybe, but I do like how Riker finds Data and Data is trying to whistle, which is something that comes up repeatedly during the show uh, that Data can't whistle. (laughs) Um, And so Riker then takes Jordy, Data, Tasha, and my God, God help us all, Troy. I mean, we Troy is kind of a primitive lie detector in her in her best moments. So okay, there's a good reason to take her. Because, and they go to the surface, and Jinkies, they gotta split up to search far point. And there's literally a point where Troy goes, I feel anger, and she literally looks like she's gonna start barking like a dog. Just like, the way, like, the way her face looks, just, God, Marina Suche, I know you're better than this. She overacted for this scene, I know. Oh, yeah. Gosh. And this episode. She's the scrappy doo of this show. Yeah, by the time she would be Demona in Gargoyles, it was a lot different. Oh, yeah. God, it's like night and day. All right, but you know what? We'll continue with the next 
after the next break. If you got some reason you want my atoms scattered all over space, boy. No, sir. But at your age, sir, I thought you shouldn't have to put up with the time and trouble of a shuttlecraft. Hold it right there, boy. Sir? What about my age? Sorry, sir. If that subject troubles you. Troubles me? What's so damn troublesome about not having died? How old do you think I am anyway? 137 years, Admiral, according to Starfleet records. Explain how you remember that so exactly. I remember every fact I'm exposed to, sir. I don't see no points on your ears, boy. But you sound like a Vulcan. No, sir. I'm an android. Hmm. Almost as bad. I thought it was generally accepted, sir, that Vulcans are an advanced and most honorable race. They are, they are. Damn annoying at times. Yes, sir. Well, it's a new ship, but she's got the right name. Now, you remember that, you hear? I will, sir. You treat her like a lady. And she'll always bring you home. So, you go down to Farpoint, and... Row, a giant ship shows up and starts attacking the old city. Does Picard try to stop but it? No one dies. <laughs> no one dies. And I swear, I see the same explosion scene, like Riker and Data watching the town get destroyed. I'm pretty sure they repeat the same huts getting blown up more than once. <laughs> <laughs> they they borrowed their they borrowed the uh, city being attacked concepts from Power Rangers. It's a pilot. It's, I mean, it's, it's the abandoned it's building district anyway. Who cares? Yeah, it is. It literally is. So. <laughs> oh. Oh. So, um, Rekka and Data find uh, Zorn as the ship is writing hot plasma death. And suddenly, this different teleportation effect, the purple one, st- steals Zorn away to the head ship. Yep. So they go back to the Enterprise and Q taunts them some more and because they're easy targets. And uh, Riker stands up to him and he goes, ooh, I like you. And he teleports away. And Riker and the gang decide to take the mystery machine, I mean the mystery transporter, over to the unknown ship. And it's the same tunnels they found below the Farpoint station. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, okay, what kind of ship has no electronics or consoles or crew or... <laughs> so they find Zorn being tortured and decide to question him while the ship is torturing him. Because they're dicks. Uh, he doesn't really seem to respond, other than just, ow, pain. Yep, so they free him and Troy's like, I feel immense satisfaction. And I'm like, okay, somebody picked up something from her quarters on the way there. Um, and... So, after threatening to blast the ship, they realize it's actually a living being, and its mate is being used as Farpoint Station. Well, that's one techno babble ray added into the episode, and look, they change the city back into the creature, and the two of them fly away to have big jellyfish creature sex. Yeah. Yep, and one pink, one is pink, one is blue. Yep. Q comments that it was an easy cha- challenge, and he'll be back. Now that we're done with all that crap, uh, oh, and suddenly Tasha is in the mini-dress version of the uniform, because why not? Because it's the 80s. Because the creators of this show were kind of pervs, and there was at least a couple that were a bit misogynistic. Dude, okay, yeah. Okay, all I have to tell you is say to that is seven of nine, okay? I have rebuttal for that is... Uh, Denise Crosby has quoted one of the creators of the show, and when she asked questions about her character, they said, just be quiet and stick your tits out. I swear to God. <sighs> freaking, freaking Hollywood. Yep. So, anyway, the episode ends with what the only part that Pete actually did remember from the Enterprise review. <laughs> Where Picard says... Let's see what's out there. Engage. 
And thank God the episode comes to an end. And yes, we skipped over the stupid scene with stupid Wesley on the stupid bridge and stupid Picard chatting with stupid Crusher because those episodes were stupid and boring. And had Wesley, and no one freaking cares about Wesley except for Gene Roddenberry. Well, and, well... Not, e- not even Will Wheaton liked Wesley. So, I mean, he has turned he has turned that fan hate into a career of his own, so... Well, he's also done yeah. other acting roles, too. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying he hasn't. So that just leaves, we just need to break down the characters here, and... Yeah, for a pilot, they just barely touch on each character. Yeah. Barely. If you'll notice, we didn't mention Worf after the first part of him taking command of the saucer section, because he does... Or Geordi. Yeah, and Geordi doesn't do a whole lot in this episode either. They do a couple things... Geordi doesn't do a lot for the whole first season, other than push button. He does get to command the Enterprise in one episode, in a scene that was actually quite well done, where you actually see the reverence he has for the captain's chair. So I'll give them that, and but yeah, he doesn't do a whole lot in the first season, and what he does is just, hey, look at the cool tricks I could do with my visor! Did I mention I'm blind? Yeah, they do cover that in the pilot here, but... God, that scene felt so tacked on, too. Yeah, well, it was just kind of introducing each character. Yeah. The, um, we've got... We get stuff with Crusher. Yep. And she's just bland. Well, I mean, other than, like, when she calls Picard out. Yeah. At one point. Like, do you really think I care about you? I'm here to serve the ship. <laughs> yeah, we've got Riker, who keeps grinning like an idiot throughout most of the episode. Okay, we need to mention the fact that he's clean-shaven, because... Oh, yep, this is before he grew the, the beard. The character is iconically known for a goatee. No, for much full beard. Full beard, excuse me. Um, And for the first season... And parts of insurrection. Um, he uh, goes clean shaven, and like I remember watching this as a kid, I'm like, "You're not Riker. Who are you? <laughs> Where's the beard?" Uh, when I was a kid, I I was able to identify the really early episodes because Riker had no beard. Yeah, that and with Jordy and Worf in the red uniforms. Yeah, but, there's that too. Yeah, you've got Tashi R, who also kind of disappears out of the episode about halfway through and doesn't do a whole lot. No, I mean, I don't want to come down on Denise Crosby. Whatever Denise her name Crosby. is. Thank you. Um, but she actually serves better as a villain in the later episodes as Sela than she does as Tasha. Yeah. No, honestly, uh, her best moment as Tasha was in the season three episode, Yesterday's Enterprise, where she actually gets a right. good send-off. Yes. Uh, definitely agree on that. Um, John Delancey is Q. I mean, he's fun. He's here, but he's not nearly as fun yeah. as he would be become. I think they're still trying to establish the character at this point, too. Right. We, I mean, this early in the series, we don't know that he's going to become more the chaotic neutral. Yeah. And Data is annoying at multiple points, but they mm-hmm. do set him up as the fish-out-of-water character, kind of like the Spock proxy in this, in this show. Right. But they definitely take it in a completely different direction yeah. by, over the series. Yeah. Than where Spock was. Yeah, no, Data really does grow throughout this show, which I am disappointed that not much done is done with Worf. I mean, outside of the fact that, holy crap, there's a Klingon in Starfleet, that's it. Yeah. And he does get a good episode in this first season, which is one of the only good episodes, which is Heart of Glory, where it's like the first mm-hmm. the first instance of him um, like being conflicted between you know, being with the Klingons and being part of Starfleet. But, yeah, he was not used enough in the early episodes. No. No, he was not. Um, And Picard's an asshole. I'm sorry. He's an asshole in this episode. I'm not disagreeing with you. But, yeah. uh, He could have had a better introduction, but... I mean, he definitely would get better. Way, as way better. Series goes on. 
And for here, here even Patrick Stewart mentioned it. Um, he came to the show and was the like the Alan Rickman in Galaxy Quest actor, like was a super serious actor, all totally dedicated to craft, and the others were a little bit more fun, you know, not uh, they they'd have they would have more fun on set, and they had to slowly like convince him to open up, <laughs> but by those. If the bloopers are any indication, by the end of it, he was having fun as much as the rest of them. Oh, yeah. But even early on, you can see, I mean, this guy is a Royal Shakespearean actor, and it shows. Yeah, in terms of acting ability, he is definitely above... Oh, he's the alpha male. Yeah, he's above everyone else at this point. Like, honestly, all the complaints I have with the are with the character in this episode it's you know Stewart does a great job with his performance it's just he's forced to do to be a character that's a complete dick oh absolutely i mean everyone likes to make fun of shatner for his kirk thing but the guy is actually a really good actor um when he tries really hard yeah i mean just look okay look back at like the star trek movies we mentioned like in wrath of khan and in undiscovered country he does a very good job well, I think my 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 single favorite episode of the original series is the one where he gets split into two, <laughs> and that is a really good Shatner act, ep, acting episode. Let's see. So I always thought one of his best moments out of all of Star Trek was actually in three, when right after his son is killed, oh and yeah, he just drops to his knees and is just you can see like just the visuals from him of just being completely shaken, completely taken out of his usual cocky self. And he just goes, you Klingon bastards, you killed my son. Just quiet. It it is one of the best moments in all the movies and all the shows, and it's probably one of Shatner's best performance moments out of all of them. Uh, I definitely agree with you on that. So wrapping up, as pilots go, even for Star Trek pilots go, this episode sucks. This episode sucks. Let's not beat around the bush. This episode sucks. Well, I've seen the pilots for... I haven't seen the original series pilot, so I can't comment on that one. It's better than this. <laughs> really? Oh. Yeah, the, the the one the one with Kirk. Uh, yeah. That one is better than this. Uh, yeah, this... I'm sorry. The pacing for this episode is bad. There's multiple moments of just nothing happening, such as Riker re-watching clips from the freaking episode or the two-minute sequence of them reconnecting the ship, which, yes, fine. Splitting it apart looked cool. Reconnecting it was boring. The acting is all over the place. Denise Crosby is just overacting half the time. Marina Sirte looks like at certain points she just, like, wants to crap a brick. And at one point, like I said, she looks like she's an angry dog. Frakes is constantly mugging into the camera. And honestly, like I said, Stewart's fine as Picard, but god damn it, Picard's an asshole. And Spiner, you can see, is still trying to figure out how to play Data, which that one I can understand from everything I've seen. It's very difficult to play a character that has no emotion and is created like, you know, that type of character. But god, the directing is bad. Most of the dialogue is forgettable. The, like, the random camera shots in this episode suck. The main Farpoint plot is boring. The best parts of the episode are Q, which, from what I understand, he wasn't even originally part of this episode. And if you actually split his plot away from the far point, it's two separate shows. It's two separate episodes. Thanks to, you know, Delancey does a good performance. McCoy's scene is fantastic. I will actually rewatch, I will gladly rewatch that scene. It's treated with the respect it deserves, and it's well done. Look, and I'm not saying this is the worst episode of The Next Generation, or even the worst... No. No, it's not. And it's not even the worst episode of season one, which would come two episodes later. But The Polywater one? Huh? The Polywater one? No, two episodes later. The second episode was the uh, Naked Now. The third episode was um, the Code of Honor, the worst episode. Oh. Yeah. oh. Episode oh, three yeah. was Code of Honor, and... Yeah, and spoiler, folks, we are never going to cover that. No, plenty that sh- that episode has been covered to death. If you really want to learn more about that episode, SF Debris did a forty-minute episode on it, uh, and the Agony Booth, I think, did like an eight-page review. So th- there's plenty on that pilot, like pilot junk. Okay, so let's get to what we're doing next. 
Next episode, we cover a good episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, the series finale, All Good Things. We'll see you then, folks. Till then, take care, everyone. The agreement for the rebuilding of Farpoint Station has been completed per my instructions. All stations, ready for departure, sir. Some problem, Riker. Just hoping this isn't the usual way our missions will go, sir. Oh, no, number one. I'm sure most will be much more interesting. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Thank <laughs> you.